I, one of the reasons why I think it's really important to, to not look at the Bible with literal eyes. And that's not the same as saying, oh, it's just a bunch of stories or, oh, you know, it's, you're not, we're not supposed to take it seriously. It's just that throughout history, there has never been this expectation that recorded history would be like an accurate video of an event. You know, even when, like, even when you do a police report, everybody, everybody's statements are going to vary because they saw it from their perspective. They saw it out of the corner of their eye or they were standing over on the other side and they saw movement that they didn't see. So it's not that any of the witnesses is lying. It's just their perspective. Hey, Liam, can you turn that down a little bit or close the door? Thank you. So, so it's, it's not, you know, well, I believe that the account in, uh, you know, in judges is more accurate or it's, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that kind of a debate, just like, you know, okay, so when they get to the, the empty tomb, were there two angels there or was there one angel? Because one of the gospels talks about one angel and one of the gospels you know, who talked and one of them says there were two people, but, or two angels, but only one talked. So was one of them lying or did one of them just not mention the other angel? You know, and, and there is an issue that when we record history, when anyone records history, it is from their cultural perspective. Well, and I'm going to say too, I mean, it doesn't mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that it wouldn't mean that there weren't two, but it's like, if I'm standing there, I might be more amazed at the one that's talking. Right. To even mention the other words, I'm like, dude, there was this angel who was talking. Right, he was talking, da, 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 da. And I'm just going on and on about this talking one, whereas my friend was like, yeah, there, there were two, two. Exactly. And a person in front of us might say, okay, wait a minute, was there one or was there two? Because right. You're like, I'm well, just talking about yeah. the one. I didn't well, even I'm mention. i that this one was talking, and I'm just only focusing on that one. Right. She, she or he might be like, yeah, but there was two of them, and it was so great, because that might be there. Exactly, exactly. And as we get into the battles and things, um, there, you know, there was, there was an understanding across the cultures that whoever won the battle, it was because their God had determined they would win or their God was victorious. So is it inaccurate to say that God chose for them to win the battle? No. But is it inaccurate to say they won and gave glory to God? No. I mean, it, it, it's not, you know, and it's not that we don't have to walk away from, from it saying God told them to go into this battle or that battle. I mean, and, and there is that kind of a, there, there is that in a lot of this. And did did God literally say go into battle against these people or did they go into prayer and feel that, you know, this was the appropriate decision to make because they felt led by the Lord? I, I, I don't quibble about stuff. If they say the Lord told them, I'm fine accepting that. And, and we'll talk about what was going on with those people. Why was this battle necessary? Um, because for the most part, and, and we'll see this at the end, but also at, you know, at the end of um, Deuteronomy, but also in Joshua. Oh, and that was one of the other things. Some scholars, Chris, think that Joshua should actually be attached to the Torah as like a sixth book. 
instead of its own book or instead of the with the histories yeah but um you know the the <clears throat> the for the most part god said i will drive out the people from ahead of you and so we need to you know keep that understanding because when we read about the different battles there were there were some battles that they had and then there were lots of times where they went into a place and the people fled ahead of them. And there were battles that they entered into that God did not tell them to go into. And they got defeated. And so, so we're going to kind of, I, I really want to get into how can we tell if the Lord was leading them in this battle or what would, what would a God's purpose have been in a particular battle. Um, and there are a lot of times that they go into a place and the people come out against them and God tells them, you know, destroy all of these people. But we need to look at the context and we need to look at what was going on. And, and a couple of things to keep in mind is one, even, even now I think it's important to remember that death isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. And we have to keep that, that perspective. But there was also a concept of, uh, corporate sin and corporate guilt that is very at play here. And, and we can talk about that and we can, you know, have opinions on that and we can certainly discuss with our modern minds what's going on with that. But I want us also to be trying to understand from that cultural perspective because it, it, there's an idea that's in scripture, that, and, and we see it today. We really do. We don't think of it the same way. But there's this idea that the habits of the society are the starting point for the children born into it, which is why there's this concept in the Bible of being in the world but not of it, that we're supposed to raise our children in the culture of our homes and our beliefs that are contrary to society that we're we're supposed to draw those distinctions we're supposed to help them see the differences and so in a in a completely pagan culture there are going to be those who attach themselves to Israel <clears throat> but for the most part they simply are a product of their society and if their society is pagan they're being raised pagan they are pagan they are a pagan society and so our modern minds go, oh, you know, but they killed the women and the children too. Well, the women were pagans and the children were pagan. And, and there, we are going to see that there are times where they were able to take them in as slaves. And then, as we've talked about before, the slaves, once they converted, if they became, you know, if they, if they adopted Jewish beliefs and practices, then they were free people in the Jewish society. So it was more like a gateway into the culture, a way to... Bring them, in, bring them in and share these things with them and, and train them in these things. It, it, you know, it was a very different idea of, of that. I mean, they might never convert and they might be slaves forever in that home, but... Yeah. Right. And that's the other thing. Yes. Right. And then look what... Exactly. And that is the that is the other part is, you know, Saul lost his king, you know, his throne over that. And and that that baby was raised, I mean, 
if someone comes in, oh, it, you know, if someone, it's okay. If someone destroys, you know, if you understand somebody as having destroyed your community or your people and, and you grow up hating them for that and your goal is to continue trying to kill them and the hatred was being fueled already, you know, so, so there are elements and we can have our opinions on them. And, and we can pass our modern judgment on them. And, and we, can, we can talk about that also. But I want to try and understand it from that cultural perspective because we want to understand their judgment. We want to understand how they were looking at it. We want to understand why it was, you know, why was it approached this way? What was going on? And, and so I, we, I think we need to keep both in mind. So, but we're going to start with numbers nine. Um, today, and uh, they're going to get to celebrate Passover. So, yeah, yeah. So the Lord, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they'd come out of the land of Egypt, saying, uh, so So the last, the, the previous year, they had their Passover that brought them out. Yeah. And now it's been a year, and so they're, they're about to have Passover. Um, let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time according to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So in other words, everything that we recorded earlier, do that. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, We are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? So, you know, they're like, We've touched a dead body, but... We're commanded to do Passover. What are we supposed to do? And Moses said to them, wait that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So Moses didn't act like he had all the answers. So Moses said, I'm going to go ask God because I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Which is, a, which is one of the reasons why I think it's so important for leaders and pastors and even government leaders, you know, just anybody who's teaching or making these decisions to say, I don't know sometimes, you know, I, I need to go seek the Lord. I need to go see what we're supposed to do. And, and people act like, I don't know is, you know, how can you not know? Yeah. Well, yeah, cause we're not God. That's why. Right. So let me go see what the Lord wants to do with this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if any one of you or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body, or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the... So not even just unclean, but if you don't make it in time, yeah. you know, you're, you're not back. You, you're, you're coming from a long way away. He shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. So it is so important. You can't corrupt it. And if you're not there, you can't do it. But it's so important that you'd better plan on doing it the following month at this, this second opportunity. 
They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. Um, so keep in mind, this isn't the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is the Passover. So just that one meal. They weren't allowed to break the bones of the, the lamb. And that's one of the prophetic pictures of Yeshua because when they came around, um, they needed the people to die so that they could bury them before Passover. And they were breaking their legs because when they were hanging on the cross, they, basically they were suffocating. And so they would hold themselves up with their feet. So when they came around, talks in the gospel, they broke the legs so that the people couldn't hold themselves up so they would die faster. But when they got to Yeshua, he had already passed. So they didn't break his legs. So that's one of the things. None of his bones were broken. Exactly. So, but if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. Yes, it is. It is so important that if you just skip it, you're, you're cut off from your people. And if you can't do it, you have a second chance to do it. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute both for the sojourner and for the native. So if there's, you know, if there's some stranger with you and, and he sees what you're doing and he would like to observe the Passover, then you include him in it. You don't exclude them. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always, the cloud cover it, it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. So God was in direct instruction over when they moved. The cloud lifted, they packed up and moved. And then when the cloud settled, they stopped and, and set up camp. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. <clears throat> or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. So it was a very, you know, direct response to the Lord. You know, we're moving today. Okay, we're settling down. Okay, we're up again. Okay, we're settling down. <laughs> Don't get too comfy. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. So, okay, Joshua 2. Um, so Joshua took over last week. And God told them, okay, it's time for you to actually go into the land because we're about in our numbers, you know, they're going to get there and it's not going to go well. And so, <laughs> um, 
So he sends Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And I titled this message, Rahab was a what? Because this is where we are introduced to the idea that pretty much every woman in, in the Old Testament was translated as being a prostitute. Yeah. The word in Hebrew that is being translated here can mean a prostitute. You know, we when, um, uh, was it, was it Jacob? No, who was it? With When his son didn't marry, or his son wouldn't give, the sons wouldn't give the daughter-in-law children. Why can I not think of? Is it Judah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when, and his sons yeah. wouldn't give the children, and so, so she went and she stood yeah. with the prostitutes, and he took her as a prostitute yeah. and spent the night with her. Okay, she her yes, head. she hid herself. So, so, yes, it can mean prostitute. It was also used to speak of a woman who'd had adultery. It was used to speak of a divorced woman who was in another relationship because it was not her first husband, you know, if the divorce wasn't proper. It wasn't a whore. It was, right, it wasn't, you know, like a hooker on the corner. All the, I mean, that, it, that was one part of it. Also, it was used of women who took in lodgers like they ran, an, you know, a bed and breakfast, which is very probably what we have with Rahab because these Jewish spies... Rather than thinking these Jewish spies went in and hooked up with a pagan hooker, this is a story of they went in and they found a woman who took them in and gave them a room for the night. Right. It's just the same word. She may have that. It may have had that connotation that if she was taking men in, it was assumed that that kind of like um, you know in the Wild West. The saloons and had the hotels, and that's where the prostitutes were. Um, she may have been a prostitute. That doesn't necessarily mean that our men slept with her. She may have just been a divorced woman who was trying to make ends meet, taking in lodgers. You know, in I think that I think that the translate well I think that the way that this word is translated shows that in that society they would have essentially been the same thing, but you know I mean she would be exclusive to one person, but there was not an expectation of care and and in that society because you know because sex was basically the act of marriage. There was prostitution where it was done in exchange for money and there was no expectation of marriage and that, you know, God says it's a sin because it defiles that act and it defiles the people involved. And then there were the women who became concubines. They weren't, they weren't Jewish women, so they didn't have the rights in a divorce that a, woman, a Jewish woman would have had, but they had the right of expectation of being taken care of. 
And it's not that God was saying, this is how I want it to be, but God was saying, if you're in this situation, you're going to take care of this woman. You're, you're not, you're not, you know, just sleeping around. You're, there's no, you know, you're going to step up and be responsible for the consequences of your choices. Um, so, so in this case, we don't know what Rahab's actual standing in her community was, and it was a pagan community. So, and, and, and she was, she may have been a temple prostitute. You know, it's, sex was very, viewed very differently in the pagan cultures than they were in, in Israel. But all we know is that she took them in as lodgers for the night. I think it's very unfair to Rahab to cast her as, as a hooker. You know, when all we know is that she was running a, a bed and breakfast. And that is one of the ways that this word can be translated. So I, I think that it shows a lot about the translators that this word that can mean she was running an inn in the context of her taking in lodgers has her becoming a prostitute, which is another way to translate this word. You know, and so there is, there is this, um, and there, I mean, there's, you know, feminist uh, biblical scholars do go a lot into, you know, these, these things. And I, I don't always agree with the things that come out of their studies, but I think that there's a lot of value in the idea of going back and saying what was really going on with women when all of our translators just want to make them all prostitutes. You know, really was every woman in the Old Testament uh, who's mentioned, except for Sarah, a prostitute? You know, Sarah, Rachel, and Leah. They're the matriarchs. Everybody else was a hooker. You know, it's just not, it's not a fair assessment of women. So, and especially with what Rahab's about to do, because she ends up being this amazing woman. So she takes the men in and they lodge there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forts. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the people who had been sent to kill them were now shut out of Jericho for the night while the spies were safe on her roof. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Okay, so they knew that Israel was coming and they knew that God was giving the land to them. And they knew that they were about to be defeated and they were terrified. So she knows this. That's why they were scared of the spies. If they didn't care about, if, you know, if they were like, oh, those, those stupid Jewish people, whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're nothing to us. They wouldn't have cared that the spies were there. Whatever, let them see our strong army. Let them see how awesome we are. But they were scared. They were trying to kill the spies. Uh, she comes and she's like, I, I've heard all the rumors. I know what's going on. Everybody's terrified. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. 
Okay, and that's back in the land. The other thing you missed last week, Chris, was that there are, I think, two and a half tribes that after those battles uh, with the Amorites said, hey, can we just have this land? Can we settle here? And uh, God, God said, yes, they can have this land, but they, the men have to set up homes for their families and then come with you until everybody else gets their inheritance. Because they were like, you know, dude, we give you this land, you're just going to stay here, and then how are we going to, you know, who's going to fight with us on the other side of the Jordan? So they were like, no, no, we'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll help you too. But we just, we like this land. This land's good. We, we fit here. So, um, so the, that's the battles that they heard about in the time that they were all setting up their homes. Word had spread about all of this. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Okay, so Rahab from Jericho has had, she has an understanding of who God is. Yes, she's, you know, she's like, okay, we know who your God is. And I, you know, she's about to make an act of faith here. She's about to step out in that. Yes, he is the Lord. He is the God of heavens and on the earth. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. So, you know, she let them out uh, of the wall there. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. With Rahab, yes, we were talking about was took in lodgers, not necessarily a prostitute. Oh, yeah, we we were talking very probably not. I mean, she may have been, but we can't tell from this story. The word that's translated prostitute for pretty much every woman except the matriarchs, uh, it could it also could have meant a woman who committed adultery a woman who had slept with multiple men, even not for profit, uh, or a woman who took lodgers in at her home. Well, right. But even then, that the word, the word itself had like several different applications in Hebrew, so to translate it as prostitute is very unfair to the women involved, unless the context of the story actually shows them being a prostitute, which this does not. They, they lodged with her, she confessed a faith in the Lord, asked them to save her. I mean, this, this was not a pagan hooker. You know, this was, this was very much um, 
a very different context. So if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood's on his head and we're guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who's with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with, with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So the stories of how they left Egypt, the stories of the battle on the other side of the Jordan with the Amorites, all of this word came. And God said, I'm going to drive them out ahead of you. Well, how was he doing that? They're hearing these stories. And there were a lot of times where the Israelites would move into the next area and the people would just flee. And one of the ways that their community grew and that the society got wealthy was because it was practice at that time to bury your money, and we even see this in some of the parables, to bury your money in the field or in the house. Right. Exactly. And so what would happen is when they were leaving, they would hide things in the floor or out in their field or in the walls of their home. They would. Be, so when they were coming in, and it's interesting because in the legends of the Jews and in the tradition stories, it talks about how they would go into the home and the bricks that had money behind it would glow and they would just go in and take the money out. You know, and I don't know if that happened, but I think it's really cool you know, that they went in and they found all of this. So, um, so the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So, And next week, we will be heading into Jericho and reading about that battle, which was not so much a battle as a worship service. And um, we'll talk about that. So questions, thoughts? Observations. I know. We did. We did two things. <laughs> we learned the other thing we learned about because that that was when you got the call is that he uh, God had talked about how Passover basically Passover was so important that anyone who was there and able to do it who didn't do it was cut off from his people. But anyone who couldn't do it, either because they had been in contact with a dead body and were unclean, or they were on a long journey and didn't make it back, God set up a second Passover date in the second month. That they, but if they didn't do it, then they were cut off. So, so it's it's really so important that God says, you know, do it now or do it then, but you better do it. And if there were anyone, if anyone was sojourning with them and wanted to also participate, then according to all the statutes, they were supposed to be included also. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, Passover was very specifically the picture of Messiah, the picture of Yeshua. Right. Right. Which is why as we get into Israel and, they, and things start going not well for them that's one of the things that they stop doing they stop celebrating the Passover and the other feasts and festivals because then we get to King Josiah when they find the Torah scrolls and he reads them and he's, he rips his garments he's like oh my gosh I didn't know 
And he purifies the land and has like the most amazing Passover since the one that they're, you know, that, that we're talking about here in numbers. And so, um, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really important. And it's one of the reasons why I think when, when different churches start learning about the feasts and festivals, you always are, people are always drawn first to the Passover. And I think it's why the Passover is so specifically talked about in scripture because it's, you know, the gospel was explaining how Yeshua filled, fulfilled these things and how Yeshua was the Passover lamb and, and drawing those connections. And then when we start seeing, oh my gosh, all of these pictures were there all along. Wow. He wanted us to see this and now we're learning. He not only wanted us to see it, he wanted us to see it so bad that if you refuse to participate, you're cut off. And if you can't participate at, at, at the time appointed, there's a second time appointed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, 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 I, this idea that, that God's, and, you know, and the sojourner among you, if they want to participate, include this idea of God as being, you know, exclusive and, you know, you, you better toe the line and do it exactly perfect. Da, da, da. There's so much grace in here, you know, it's like, and if you miss it, do, okay, do it, just do it again. Do it this time. it the way I explained it to someone who was really they were seeing God as very they, they were seeing themselves as very foolish and God is very harsh and I said listen there's a doorway and there's a two by four across it and God keeps telling you you need to duck when you go through that doorway and you keep slamming your head into the two by four and God's saying duck and you're going bam eventually you're gonna duck but it's not because God's harsh. It's because you didn't listen. The two-by-four was there all along. God didn't put the two-by-four there to, to, you know, mess you up. He's trying to tell you, look, this is how that worked. you got to duck under the two-by-four. And there's so much in, in, in Torah that is, you know, there are, the, there are the natural laws. There's gravity. If you jump, you will go down. If you jump off the cliff, you will go way down, you know? <laughs> If you go in water, you can't breathe. You know, there, there are the natural laws. And I do believe there are the spiritual laws. Exactly. If you, if you are promiscuous, there are consequences. If you are, um, you know, and not all the consequences are inherently bad because, you know, a lot of times people, one of the, one of the ideas that always comes up is the idea of, you know, well, a child is a consequence of sex. And, and that's, you know, sometimes people, well, it is because sex leads to children. Right. Sex is a, con you know, con children are a consequence of sex. 
God doesn't give you children to punish you. But if you engage in sex, you very well may have a child. And it very well may not be a time that you think is good. And, and the, the, the Jewish idea of what a blessing is or, is so different than our idea. Like God's going to give you good things if you do good and bad things if you do bad. But the, the Jewish idea of a blessing is it's something that God gives you as the opportunity to become worthy of it. So if you're sleeping around and you get pregnant, you now have an opportunity to get your life together and become worthy of, of mothering that child or fathering that child. And that's a very different way to look at it than the baby was a punishment or the baby was... Right. It's not their fault. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not the child's fault. The right. Right. And and we don't we need to as a society help that person who's now been given the opportunity to become worthy of this blessing by supporting them and you know coming alongside them and helping them if if that's their desire. You know, not everyone who has a baby wants to become worthy of that baby. Not everybody who does anything wants to become worthy of whatever. You know, but when God when God gives you a new job or when God, you know, when when and and not even in a and I hate to say when God gives you because it's not like God goes, "Oh, they've done good. I'm giving them a job." You know, when you get that next job or when you get that opportunity, it's an opportunity to become worthy of it. It's not the time to go, you know, whew, I must be doing good. I can just, you know, kick back. It, exactly. Well, it's like marriage, though. Some people look at marriage as, huh, I'm done dating. And some people look at marriage as the beginning of a life with this person. And you can tell the marriages where, you know, you can tell because sometimes people get married and then they give up. You know, they, they let themselves go. They, they stop being kind to the person. You know, they're, they're yeah, they, they stop trying to look nice for them. You know, and, not, and that's not to say that you've done something wrong if you're exhausted at the end of a day with kids and you're, you know, sitting there in sweats when your husband comes home. You know, I, and some people, and I know some people who, who do try, you know, when, before their husband comes home or their wife comes home to pick up a little bit and try and make it nice. And I say... You know, there are seasons and there are some times where I was just too exhausted and my husband would come in and the state of the home was his indication of how exhausting my day had been. And so he would step in and serve and take care and, and bless us. But on the days where I could, yeah, I would pick up the floor. I didn't want my husband walking into a mess. And, you know, but it's, it's care and concern and, and exactly generosity. And, and it's that I, not the idea of, well, now, you know, you're trapped now, so I guess you're stuck with me. I can do whatever I want. It's, I'm honored to have you, and I want to take care of you. And when that's the mutual approach to it, then, then you're blessing each other. But, but, you know, so a spouse is the opportunity to become worthy of that person in both directions. You know, a baby is the opportunity to become worthy of that child. Um, a, a financial windfall is the opportunity to use money the way... God has been telling you to use it. You know, it's the opportunity to use it for the kingdom and to take care of your family and, and to become worthy of it. 
if you get that windfall and go gamble, you have not become worthy of it. And so there are these spiritual laws in place and the choices that we make have consequences. And, and God has given us his word to say, hey, there's a two by four if you go through this door, you can duck. Or that door, just don't even walk through it. It's not worth it. Yeah, don't even, don't even look at that door. Exactly. Don't even look at that door. You know, and, and so then the, problem, the idea of the hedge laws really was, okay, God said don't go through that door, so we're going to say don't even look at that door. But then what would happen is people would forget why they weren't supposed to look at that door. And then suddenly they're like, oh, I didn't see that door before. Wait, don't look at that door. Maybe there's something good behind it. You know, so when we, it, I don't have a problem with hedge laws as long as we remember to talk about why we've made that a hedge. You know, if I, I, you probably know the story of like the, it's the ham, the Easter ham story. Uh, but the woman gets married and she cuts off the ends of the ham every year. And her husband asks her one year, he's like, why do you cut off the ends of the ham? And she's like, I, I don't know. My mother always did that. So they go back to the mother and the mother's like, I, I don't know. My, my mother always did that. And so they go back to her mother and she's like, oh, because when, I, when you guys were little, we were so poor that the only pan we had, the ham never fit. So I had to cut off the ends and make it fit in the pan. And there you go, like four generations later, and it's just that tradition. We just cut off the ends of the ham, you know. And not that I'm saying eat ham, but <laughs> you know, we got to know. <laughs> exactly. Oh. I don't know. You just do it because that's what you saw. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, but what am I doing with it? Why am I doing this? Exactly. And so traditions are good, but when when it's traditions about God's word, it's so important that we make sure we understand why we're doing the tradition. Why, you know, why are we celebrating the Passover? Well, because God commanded it. Yes. What's it about? Let's ask those deeper questions. And, you know, in, in the parables, there are always the four sons. You know, the one who, who doesn't care. He's still a son. You know, he's still a son. We're talking about four sons. We're not talking about the pagan who doesn't know. We're talking about the son who doesn't care to know. I don't care to know why we're doing it. We're, I'm just doing it. Um, and there are some people that, that they're surface level. They're like, I just want to know the literal what it says. I don't, I don't want to know the deep. I don't want to discuss it. I don't need to know the deeper meanings. I don't care. You can, but for those people, but for some people, they just, none of that matters. God said to do it. I'm going to do it. Great. Don't project that onto others because there are the other three sons. And there's the son who just, you know, who doesn't, who needs to understand. And there's, there's the deeper the son who, then the son who wants to know all the questions, you know. And so we've got all four types. There are going to be some who are like, okay, God said to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. That's great. But they need to not condemn those who... Right. Right. But even if, even if everything is perfect, right. it's still with, uh, like 
Right. Show me in the Bible. Exactly. Absolutely. And you go back to the scripture and you go, where, where is that? Right. So right. Well, there's there's so different. There there's different, and that well, and you get to populate your planet, and yeah. there's all sorts. Yes, there are lots of answers. There are lots of answers. And you got to take them. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's in their other books, and that's why, I mean, they do have books that talk about it, but it's in, it's, right, and they, 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 they approach the Bible, they don't think any, one of the, what they would, what I've, what I've, uh, in discussions with them, as long as those things don't contradict what's in the Bible, they accept them, but I'm a, I approach, the way I approach it, and one of the reasons I'm not Mormon, is, it needs to, I think, really fit with what's in Scripture, not just not contradict it, not be some completely different idea that the Bible doesn't say, oh, and by the way, that idea is wrong. It needs to, you know, be complementary to the Bible. It needs to, to fit with the context of Scripture. It needs to, that, that Scripture is our, our starting point and our ending point. And, you know, and that's why I try to distinguish between, you know, the legends that are out, like, did the bricks glow? You know, it, I don't know, but culturally we know they did this, and and they would have they and they did find all the money that went in there, and that's you know that that fits with the story of them going in and God prospering them and God blessing them. The bricks glowing, neat idea, not doctrine to me, not something that that I'm going to say. And the Bible says that the bricks glowed when they went in, you know, because it just doesn't. It doesn't change anything. We're, yeah, we're about done. So, so I do, but I do think, and that's why, you know, okay, we say Passover. Well, we want to study Passover. We, we, need, we need to start with what the Bible says. And then as we find tradition, you know, and with all the feasts and festivals, because a, a lot of people say, well, what do I do? And I say, start with what the Bible says. As you learn more each year, you'll find traditions that do add value for you. You'll find traditions that help you express the meaning that, that God put forth. And, and so incorporate those things. Add those things. If something stops being meaningful to you and it's not spelled out as, as what you have to do, okay. Or if something isn't meaningful to you, you don't have to do it. You know, the, the it's, it's really, it's about understanding and trying to understand what God's trying to show us in those things. So... Yeah, yeah. I know. And and that's why it's important to do. And we've got Rosh Hashanah coming up. We'll have our Rosh Hashanah service. I've got to figure out 
I think it's good. I think it's that Friday of that first weekend of September, but I, I'll double check. And the first weekend of September. Yeah, the first one is Rosh Hashanah. And it's, yeah, I think it's the Friday night of the first weekend of September. So I'll make sure, and I'll make sure that we, we have the facility that night, and I'll... For, um, for Rosh Hashanah? Oh, the, 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 yes, the sukkahs, yeah, or the, the yurts, yes, 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 too, okay, okay, and then... Yes, yes. And it's a whole week long. We'll only be there for the two nights, but it's the first two nights, and it's going to be awesome. I'm very excited about that. So are you going to be able to make it up? First to You better. No, she did. She did. She was there. Just her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, well, let me bless you guys, and we'll stop the recording. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen.